The road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. We're your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Yep. Welcome, welcome. Um, This show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. We have a two-week detox followed by two years of free aftercare and recovery coaching. We're located inside St. Joseph's Hospital downtown. Uh, We do all forms of addiction, and we take all forms of insurance. So if you or a loved one would like any information about our detox and recovery program, visit our wonderful, beautiful website, www.mhdrp.org. Mahurpaderp.org. Or give us a call at 844-263-4673. And uh, you're listening to us today on KPRC 950, Sundays at 1 p.m. Central. Don't forget that you can open up the KPRC channel on the iHeartRadio app. And all of our shows are uploaded late Sunday to the iHeartRadio app. Uh, where you can listen to everything that you want to if you have nothing better to do with your life. Or if you do, I don't recommend it. If you do have or don't have a social media addiction, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, yeah, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> All right, so welcome to the show today. And today we are going to talk about, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited because we have covered a lot of addiction on this show. Yep, porn. I happen to be addicted to almost everything in Food, life. Food, drugs, yeah, alcohol. Right. But there's one that I don't have experience with because I hate giving money away and I'm not good at it, so I would give it away, and that is gambling. Right. I don't either. So I, I, I want to introduce a, a, a guest today. Today we have Hugo with us. Welcome, Hugo. Thank you. We're so glad you're here. And uh, Hugo is a part of, and I think I can say two fellowships. Correct. Two fellowships. You are, you are sober as well as you are, what do you call it when you don't gamble anymore? Is it? Same thing. Sober. Sober, yeah. sober okay. from gambling. But I, I like to say, you know, sobriety is actually where you're getting to, kind of like within when we look at the literature, talking about going to a true freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I talked about like recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in recovery, haven't had a drink in 25 years, haven't had a bet, haven't placed a bet in over 22 years. 22. Wow. Okay. So you, you got sober from drugs and alcohol first. Correct. Um, that's 97, right? That's 97. May, May 24th, 1997. Wow, that's a long time between drinks. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, there's a story for everything, but yeah. And then it, and then, so the story is, is then about a year and a half into that, I realized I knew nothing about emotions, nothing about feelings. So I went in and I saw a psychologist. And so I started huh. doing psychologists. And this is how crazy I always said, you, know, you, want, you want to know what a real addict is, is I was paying my psychologist for a year and a half just so I could lie to him <laughs> because I didn't want to be confronted about my gambling. <laughs> but that's kind of like the, so the very interesting timeline that I would like to focus on a little bit of you weren't drinking or doing drugs anymore. 
but you were still gambling. Therefore, you were not emotionally sober. Like you had. Well, I wasn't recovering at all. Right. I was all I was doing. I had zero alcohol in my body. Would you I mean, say you were dry at the time? Yeah, I was dry. Okay. I was like what they would call you know a dry drunk right. because okay. I still had all the characteristics and personalities of an addict. I was right. always anxious. I had stories. I you know I was always hiding. You know, there was always these things. And the main thing is, is I was just very lonely. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I I do believe that of all the addictions, gambling, when I've I've heard so many stories, that the gamblers are probably the most lonely. Because they have to control so many things, especially if they're in a relationship, the statements, the phone calls, they really isolate even more than other addicts. And that's also why, because there's also high numbers Mm -hmm. that, gamblers have a higher suicide rate than all mm. other addictions. So those are the that, two huh? things that people just need to be aware of that. And, it, and it's only going to get worse because now you have all the major sports leagues pushing gambling, prop betting, fantasy, fantasy, whatever down everybody's throats. So question, which came first in your experience, the, the gambling or the drinks and drugs? Or were they well, simultaneous? Well, I had my first taste of beer at the age of eight. That was at home. I would take the foam off my dad's beer because I thought it kind of looked like whipped cream. <laughs> I said, oh, this is kind of cool. And they were, they, were, they were cool with it. I didn't place my first bet till I was 12. And that was then 1977 Cotton Bowl, UT against Notre Dame. And I thought, wow. and I, being growing up Catholic, I said, well, there's no way we're going to stop Earl Campbell. And this is before I went to UT and love UT. I said, Notre Dame's going to win. And they did. And of course, what happens is the person I bet, who was actually the teacher of my CC, CCE classes, which was like Catholic education when you weren't going to Catholic school. And he didn't want to cough up five bucks. Ah. So I had a resentment. <laughs> That's so great. But you Which smelled for more drinking. You found the rush. You yeah. found the rush. What kind of a what kind of a childhood did you have? Did you have a normal childhood? Did you have like did, were your parents together? Were they Yeah, no, I grew up. My family my parents were together for fifty three years until my dad died six years ago. Mm-hmm. They, they came over from Bolivia. My, I'm a son of an, my older brother and I were sons of immigrants. They came from Bolivia. We were born in New York City. Eventually, my dad got transferred to Houston. I mean, we had family vacation. We did, we were pushed academically, athletically, and we went to Catholic church every week. But we knew nothing about emotions. And see, I also, I, grew, I, I had a good childhood. My parents were very Still, they're still married today. Very they're, deserving of a better child. And they were very yeah, deserving horrible, of a better but, child than what they got. But my point is, is I didn't have like this horrible childhood per se. I would right. say I just grew up really emotionally immature. And but and the because reason no one talked about emotions, right? Right. And the reason I ask is because one of the things that when Heather and I are in the rooms that we're always trying to try and get across to people is that I am not an alcoholic because of anything external in my life as a kid. Right. We know alcoholics that came from the silver spoon life and we know alcoholics that came from the ghetto. Right. right? right. There was no external circumstances. The, the childhood trauma isn't a common denominator. It's about right. 50 50 is what we're saying. Right. right. I, I believe. Yeah, because I went to like we were saying earlier, you know, I went to public and private school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, we went on family vacations. But the thing is, I had episodes that happened to me that I never had a, the ability to talk about, which was bullying. Right, right. Or some early sexual things. Right. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're here with Hugo talking about 
um, sobriety from alcohol as well as gambling. Mm -hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with hosts Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hi. Can you switch that? And Donnie and Heather Mosier. Uh, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Yeah. And uh, we have a wonderful guest, Hugo, in studio. Welcome. We're talking about sobriety. We're talking about gambling addiction. We're talking about all the different ways um, our self can manifest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to take a look at that. And before we talk about Hugo had uh, really good parents and... Uh, and a somewhat normal upbringing, you would probably say. And, and so, but you drank and dambled, uh, gab, da- dabbled in gambling early on. You were quite young. How did it start to progress? What did that start to look like in your life where mm, it started to be something different than just a hobby? Was it just a hobby for several years? Well, I'll first say that I, I really now look back, I really had a privileged upbringing. Okay. I came from a more of a privileged home that most people don't have the opportunities that I did. Right. Mm. Things I saw. In the beginning, because going to high school here in Houston in the 80s, that it was a lot easier to drink than to gamble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though now looking back, I was always much more of a gambler than a drinker. Mm-hmm. It was just easier to just start drinking beer, yeah. just start drinking a hard liquor in high school. And really the gambling didn't really start to pick up till I got to college and then was in a fraternity. And then there was a lot more gambling within the um, West Campus and all the fraternities at UT. That's an interesting point because I meet a lot of people who think they're not alcoholics because they favored some other addiction more. And I even personally struggled with that for a while thinking I wasn't an alcoholic because I liked heroin. Uh, and I think that that's a common delusion. People say, well, I really didn't have a problem with that. Um, but really, it is a common denominator. If you're really looking at the background, certain things are more accessible or easier to get. And uh, and that addiction can manifest in other ways, even if it's not your favorite thing to do or use. Well, I always say my favorite things to do is, is I love to drink beer. Mm-hmm. I love to bet on sports. I love to drink tequila. I love to bet on horses. I love to drink <laughs> vodka. But I always knew that I didn't need to drink every day. Right. Mm. But I that whole thing is, is that, you know, you drank enough. You know, when you drank, you wanted to keep going yeah. or mm-hmm. you wanted to kind of numb out or yeah. escape. But I loved gambling, you know, as much as I could. Right. And so what did that start to look like, uh, let's say, like high school, college years as it progressed? Well, usually back then you could only really bet, gamble on like the big games, the Super Bowl. Or, and there's always, most people always will say they start out gambling with football. Okay. No one really starts gambling with baseball and basketball or the horses, you know, because football is technically an American religion. Okay. Now, is this gambling like actually going through like Vegas bookies or is this gambling with no. your friends? Well, both. It's either friends okay. or through bookies. Not not through Vegas, but just bookies in just town bookies. or bookies, you know, that you kind of know or, you know, someone hooks you up. But I mean, how do you even, like, need a bookie? I don't even know where this comes from. Well, it's the same thing as people go, how do you find a bookie? I go, well, how do, you, how do people find a drug dealer? <laughs> you ask enough questions, you find out. Where yeah. do you get illegal guns? It's not it's, that hard if you are, <laughs> if you really want to find answers, you yeah. keep asking. That's and right. You keep your eyes open and, you know, you go, you walk into a club or, you, yeah. you know, you go to a certain sports bar. How do you find the trap house? You yeah, find the trap point. house. 
It's just something that never would have been on my radar. Yeah. But if you are the addict, you know you know oh, how I it can, is. If I you're the find, addict, you you know what to look for. I could probably find someone who has access to opiates within 10 minutes downtown. Yep. You know? That's yep. just, I have eyes for it because that's the sort of cultural thing I can look for. Cause you I go into it. a sports bar, you'll find the that's bookie or the gamblers or the, okay. And then you go up to them and you start just asking questions. Who do you got? What, 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 what's the line? It's got its own lingo. Yeah. Okay. And so what did that look like? Was it problematic at all in college? Were you spending all your money? You said you had a fluent upbringing. So it, is it more of a double-edged sword to have money and be a gambling addict? Well, the thing is, is by the time I got to college, my family went through personal and business bankruptcy. So uh-huh. we had we had some financial <laughs> issues already going on. So when I was in college, there was one weekend where I lost big and I had to take a lot of money that I had made like during the summer that mm-hmm. I had to pay off that week. And then the following week, won big. But then the bookie, since he was a frat guy from a different fraternity, he got busted. Oh. Didn't pay anyone. So then the following week... You know, so I was expecting to get, you know, big payouts. So I had something to work with. But you didn't get and then the, the following week ended up with another big loss. And then I had to work six months in telemarketing to pay off the gambling debt. Did oh, you wow. ever do anything illegal to cover the gambling debts? No, not not at that time. Not no, at that not, time. Yeah, not even, even, even later. Later on, it was using company money since I was in a family business. Oh, I used company it. money to cover things and then mm. you know, a lot of other other things where, where, the, where you talk about the progression. So that whole thing about owing bookies money and, and you don't have it, they really beat you up for that? No, that's, that, that's all. It's you're, watching, you're, watching, you're watching Hollywood. Okay. Now, okay. maybe if you dealt with the mafia and you're in New York <clears throat> City, there was probably a little more physical stuff. Right. Bookies are just like banks or credit card companies. They just okay. want your money. They'll threaten you. They'll tell you all this, but they're no... They're no more bigger. And be, me being 6'5", always in shape, I was always bigger than any book I said. Or, or, <laughs> I mean, they could come around, you know, but yeah. they really don't. They just want money. Right. And right. it's just kind of probably like just a drug dealer. They'll say, okay, well, I, you know, they'll say like, well, we'll just limit you. Just just bet 500 this week because you still owe about two grand or something. <laughs> so, so you try, they'll, they'll try to work with you, you know, that whole yeah. way to either try to. So drug they dealers will work a, with you too. Right. You know. Because all they want is money. Bottom line, whether you're whether it's drugs, gambling, sex, yeah. it, right. all it comes down to, it's about money. So, money right. plays. So as this progressed in your life, the drinking and the gambling, um, what sort of things did you? What sort of consequences did you ever have from either, or what sort of um, prices were you paying? Spiritual prices did you start paying that you weren't aware of yet? Well, there was a lot of things that happened. You don't really make the connections till you get into recovery. Right. You know, I got was in jail twice. The first time was public urination. Mm-hmm. You know, I say, okay, how, they how put do you, you in jail for that? Yeah, they do. When wow. you're 19, I'm a fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> you know, if I still felt the urge, I'm sure. You know, if I if it's late at night, I see no one's around, and you I mean, you, you got to go. You got to go. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'll go back to jail. I go. Uh, the other time was just something about uh, state inspection. But a lot of that is because is I didn't go to court. I had a warrant out for my arrest because I got drunk. I was at the Yucatan liquor stand over okay. there on Richmond. <laughs> oh, and, that place. And so I went there and I, and I woke up. My court was at 8 a.m. I woke up at 9 a.m. And I just go, oh, 
guess I'll, I guess I'll just pay the ticket. And then I just say, nah, and then, you know, you just, you just never go. And then they pull you over again. And then they go, you get that free ride straight to jail. So what, what does, God, I remember those days too. I I remember going to jail for something simple and then ended up staying there for days because of all the warrants they found. You went to jail for a week. Don't even act like you're hard, Donald. I was supposed to get out and be there one night. Yeah, but they lost you. And but that that doesn't mean you were there forever. Like <laughs> the point here <laughs> the point here, horrible child from Oklahoma, is that the same thing. I got arrested for something stupid and all the warrants started popping up. Now the good thing was that I stayed in jail for a week and they all got taken care of. But yeah, it's out. that procrastination. So <clears throat> so you're you're going through college, you're uh, you're, you're drinking, you're gambling. Did you do <clears throat> drugs too? I'm always curious. I did marijuana and Coke. Okay. So did he. But not, not that much. He would say he's a straight up alcoholic that also liked the way cocaine smelled. It was like, you know, to me, this is like, you're saying an addict, you know, if it was around, yeah, I'm going to smoke the joint. Oh, someone wants, you know, someone wanted to go into a club and go, Hey, I want to hit this vial. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's do a vial of Coke. Right. Right. You know, right. I was never going to say no. And the only thing right. that I wanted to do at UT was I wanted to, at that time in the mid 80s, was to do X. I just didn't find it. Right. But Bro. I would have done X if I could have found it. Bro, you missed out. <laughs> I never I'm just did gonna tell you. you. You missed out. <laughs> no, have you ever In 87, had... as a 15 year old, I was, do you remember Spring Shadows Glen? The rehab? I was there for a year. Mm-hmm. My parents live right for behind weed. it. For weed. <laughs> he was there for a year for weed. That's right, but I learned about all the good drugs while I was there. <laughs> I did a summer job there for six months, probably in 85. <laughs> nice, nice. So how did this progress accumulate? Well, we're about to, we're about it... to go to break. Oh, we are? Okay. Yeah, so well, I was getting into this. I really I know, that. I know. I'm excited about it. So when we come back, we're going to really talk about the progression. We're going to talk about what led you to get sober from both of these addictions. Yeah. Uh, So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Hugo talking about alcohol and gambling addiction. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with Heather and Donnie Mosier and our guest Hugo talking about alcoholism and gambling addiction. And uh, this is so interesting to me because I can correlate it to drug addiction as I hear you talking about it, but I would have never thought, hey, I can go find a bookie. And it's just not a world I'm used to. And so I love that we get to talk about these different, because it's actually all the same. It's actually all the same. It just manifests differently. But you do know when they've done brain studies that the gambling brain is so similar to the cocaine brain. Yeah. Really? I did not know that. Because they're both uppers. You're okay. both kind of going up, up, up. So, you know, the alcoholic, the weed, mm-hmm. a lot of the pills, that's more of a depressant. That's why they, well, the, co- the cokehead and the ga- and the gamblers are very similar. We just looked at brain scans for people addicted to porn, and it lit up the same as alcoholism. So does it, do you take, when you're gambling, whether you win or lose, do you take a dopamine? Like, is it push By dopamine? By placing the bet? Or? No. <laughs> you know how it is? Uh, you get high on the anticipation. Yeah. The, ah. the ritual so the so I was the most high. My gambling high would be in the morning when I looked at the morning line. Since I was okay. a sports better, I wanted to know: Am I going to bet on Houston? Am I going to bet on Green Bay? Okay. 
or if I knew if I was going to go to the horse track, you know, what, what are the horses? What are the early lines? That was like the spark. Uh-huh. That kind of just like woke you up like people do a coffee. Uh-huh. It was like the lines was just like that. But it's like Pavlov dog, ring a bell, right. get a treat. You were already salivating by looking at the lines, right. just like I was already not dope sick anymore as soon as the guy answered. It was going to take right. four or five hours to get it, but I was already better. Right. That was the whole process, you know, whole calling ritual. up the bookie, you know, finding out if you win or lose and then coming up with the money. Because, you, you know, with bookies, you would, it was a weekly thing. So, so you, would pay out, you, you would pay out on a Tuesday, collect on a Thursday. So tell oh, to, wow, talk okay. to me about like how minimal the gambling addiction was, but the progression of it really. Like, how bad did it get? What, does, what should a loved one look for uh, in their loved one's lives as a clue that something may be more than just a hobby or, or a fun bet? Well, if someone says, hey, honey, let's go on vacation. Nowadays, so many places have casinos, but back then it was a lot more of a a red flag. Like you'd be, oh, I want to go to Vegas. You know, let's do our honeymoon in Vegas. Right, right. (laughs) Or let's go to the Bahamas. You know, a lot of places that have gambling. And where someone spends their time, let's say they're going on vacation, and then that person kind of escapes, even on a cruise ship. Every cruise ship's got a lot of gambling. Yeah. That's, they also have rooms for friends with Bill W. Yeah, uh, but people, don't, a lot of people don't realize what's this activity thing on this cruise ship. Uh, but there's a lot of things. But that that's one telltale sign, and it's also kind of this, you know how you know how is someone getting so irritable? Mm-hmm. You know, like you watching a game, okay. and all of a sudden, you know, in that fourth quarter, there's some last minute score, so the. The, the line that you either win or lose. They're and going someone's beyond going beyond Right, there's going beyond disappointment. Oh. You're going, okay, something's a little off with that. Why right. are you getting so mad about the Buffalo Bills? <laughs> we, we have a friend, and I won't do a shout-out to him. We have a friend who um, is back in recovery um, prior to his needing to reset. His gambling got pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And I remember we'd all be hanging out and he was just, he literally had a sheet of all the games, flipped the page of all the different things he was gambling on for the, like it was, it was a full-time job for him. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I remember how that was just his full-time focus. And I remember how upset he would but get. But when I was getting on drugs, that, oh, that was a full-time job, right? And so any addiction really just hijacks your life yeah. per se. I'll tell you something like, so I'm not Rain Man, but the last two years of my gambling, I wasn't drinking, so I was just gambling. I love numbers. I never wrote anything down. It was all in I kept head. It was all in my head. Wow. I knew all my bets. I knew I was up and down because it was a weekly thing, and I knew exactly. And, I, he, and he would recite, if he were a little bit off, I'd go, tell me which bet. i go, guarantee you're, you're wrong. Wow. Wow. But part of me, that was part of, that was almost part of like my living. You know, like you're saying, that's part of your job. It was yeah. just part of my excitement. Did, I just wanted to be excited because I knew everything. If this plays into casino type stuff, like I've always wanted to learn how to count cards. And with that, is that a form of gambling? That's illegal. Oh. <laughs> but I mean, the so is drugs, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, but the casinos will do anything to make the odds in their favor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they would go. You, there's no more things about you're not playing. You're not playing blackjack with two decks anymore. Okay, you know, they're going to six going or to seven play. dates. Why do you think they did the roulette wheel and they added the double zero? Do you know how much? You, you know the, the just little simple things yeah. like that. So you when you bet on oh. red or black, and now there's two numbers that are green. Uh oh, so that, that just lowers your odds. odds. That changes oh. your odds. So you're no longer technically getting two to one odds. 
Well, oh. along Heather's line, what I was so, thinking was going to play Hold'em in Vegas, but I was going to put cards in my sleeve. No, no, Is no. That... So I was leaning somewhere with that because <laughs> I think that based on technology from when you were gambling in the 80s to now 2022, how has technology changed all the different facets of gambling? Because I know of like women that just can't leave their Sims on their phone alone. You know, there's different apps and stuff and it's with real money. Is that other forms of gambling addiction? Yeah, because the the old gambler was always just going to be casinos, sports, and horses. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was usually male. You know, unless you went to Vegas, and you know, a lot of women were playing the slots, right. and they would always, con- you know, compare that the pulling on the slot lever was their lover. Okay. Oh. But now, because Vegas figured out, you know, there's con- there's always going to be research on how to speed up the game. Right. So you don't want someone there to change a hundred at a blackjack table. You don't want the dealers to to change out because you want the game. You want the the speed of the game. Right. And so when they went to video poker, mm-hmm. it became very hypnotic. There was less of a learning curve, so almost anybody could gamble. Mm-hmm. And it, and because your winners or losses were so immediate you tended to hook that many more people into gambling. Because you don't have time to pause. Right, and so now when you go to Vegas, the slot machines are now video. There's no more levers. Well, I grew up in Oklahoma, and there's tons of casinos uh, on Indian reservations in Oklahoma. We used to go there to sell drugs. Um, and but uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't really into the gambling. No, but follow me here. You're such a criminal. But listen, uh, but that's true. I remember. I'm I'm smart. I like numbers. I like games. But it was so boring. I hated it because I'm just putting money in a, a machine and I'm pushing a button and it doesn't mean anything. Like there was no thinking on it. Like I, I was just. But it was. You know. Here's the other thing too. As you say that, I'm like, wow. Like boom. Uh, we've done a show on uh, social media addiction. And the research we did, we we looked into the science behind drawing a person into social media and keeping them there. But the attention is the commodity. We did two shows on porn addiction. The first show we focused on the science. Yet again, how do we draw them in and how do we keep them there? And, and even here with we the have food an, addiction, the different things they put in food to make you crave more food sooner. Sugar. Yeah. Sugar, right? Carbs. And so then we have gambling and it's the same thing again. How do we... They have a problem. How do we attach to it, and how do we draw them in and keep them here? Right? Like I say, the, the casinos in Vegas don't get smaller. The hotels get bigger and much more luxurious because of the money you right. keep losing. Yep, yep. And so that was a part of the thing. So the progression, yeah, so it progressed throughout after I got out of UT, and so I started working and just started to almost, you know, started to date more. But, mm-hmm. you know, relationships were always... I, I never was faithful to any relationship because I always thought that they would leave me. Mm. So I was always thinking that there was some negative outcome. And I think deep down, uh-huh. I started getting into my subconscious that somehow they're going to find out who the real Hugo is and I'm going to leave him. So I got to start being prepared. I started getting a number. I got to maybe meet someone as well as as the drinking, the gambling started to increase and then from there it went from football then I started to get you started getting into better bookies that start covering basketball and baseball mm-hmm. and then start really loving how much I loved you really if you're a true gambler a true gambler will say I just love to bet on baseball baseball is a much better sport to bet on ever for a sports better than football or basketball uh, and especially because you can control the pitcher and you got to so- name the pitcher and then you know the, the different odds. So with with relationships, 
in your mind, it's like, this is going to blow up anyway, so I'm going to have my finger on the button. It's always self-sabotage. Right. In any addiction, it's and so much self-sabotage. You're always that, afraid of being found out. And yeah. so to a degree, throughout this whole point of a timeline that we're talking about, you were just full of dishonesty and deceit. You were never really genuine. Not, not, not to myself. Yeah. Right. Not, not, you know, I just lied else. to myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so as you get more and more into this, is it typical, is, is gambling like alcohol, like as my illness progressed, as I got more and more into it, anything that got in the way of drinking had to go. You know, is it the same with gambling? If, if you're dating a chick and, and she may be really into you, but if she starts, ah, are you gambling too much? Do you need to stop that? Are you sure about this? She's got to go, right? Yeah, the, or the, the other thing is, is that, you know, they, there were certain periods that, you know, could not talk, mm. you know, like 15 minutes before kickoff on, you know, here we're, we're in central. Uh. So the kickoff was at noon. Do not talk to me between, well, I was never available between 1130 a.m. and noon. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah, the, the, or between, then you had to figure out from 245 to 3 p.m. Now they've kind of staggered the afternoon games. But yeah, you, you, you always structured your life to what you needed to do to get your high. Wow. wow. All right. So listen, uh, this is interesting. Uh, we're here with Hugo today talking about alcoholism and gambling addiction. And we're going to take a quick break and he's going to tell us the solution that he has found to both of these How issues. How to get out. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with Heather and Donnie Mosier. And our guest today is Hugo. Hugo. Uh, this has been an interesting conversation yeah. because I honestly haven't ever really known a lot about gambling addiction and things like that. Um, and so to summarize kind of where we're at is that you took your first drink around eight. You used to clean the foam off the beer. I love that. Your first bet with a teacher at 12, 12. <laughs> uh, and then your, your drinking gambling sort of ramped up in college. Um, tell me what finally, what finally broke you as far as... I need help. I need to get in recovery. Yeah, as far as the drinking. And then, um, so what pushed you to get sober from alcohol? And then what did it look like to get sober from gambling? And, and what, was that, what did that solution look like? Okay, so the first thing that happened about to understand about recovery is, is I took a girlfriend to my thank to a Thanksgiving at my parents' house, and as we left, she says, "I think your family drinks too much." <laughs> so immediately, you know, you get defensive. This is my family. You don't know what you're talking uh, yeah. about. But yeah. it was one of those things that just that was the first plant in the seed in my head. Okay. And then six months later is when I stopped drinking because I was drunk. I had gambled. This was when the Rockets lost the 1997 Western Conference Finals to Utah Jazz. Oh, right after and clutch. So, yeah. And so right after that, we went to a bar, kept drinking. I called my girlfriend. I wanted to come over. And she said no. Mm-hmm. And so really it was the rejection. Mm-hmm. And she said I was, no because you were drunk? She didn't want yeah, because she had done that before where okay. I'd come over and even sometimes Drunk I would just pass out. Drunk people are annoying. Yeah. yeah. And then he'd come over, pass out. Don't even get, you know, I say I want sex and you pass out before that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the sex is not that good. Right. <laughs> so she probably said, well. She was well, like, no thanks. No, yeah, I've seen this before. Yeah. 
<laughs> but to me, it was just that the whole rejection. rejection, losing money. It was everything else. And then uh, two days later, I walked into a meeting. Okay. Oh. All right. Now, and, did, did you immediately... Um, and did, I just, did you stay sober? You're a one-chip wonder like him? Well, here's the thing. So I went into that meeting. I was totally clueless. I just I didn't know what I was there. I was just just trying to gather information. Right. And at the you know at the end of the meeting, you know they they talk about the desire. Yeah. I just sat in my. I didn't know, realize they were looking at me. I just sat there because <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was about something else. Aww. So did you ever get a desire chip? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Later on. Later on, when you figured out, yeah. I was yeah, I figured confused. out what, what what this thing was about. I had a stack uh, of about twenty before I got sober, and I wanted to. But he's a one chip wonder too, and he just fell into my question is. But I but I was able to do that because I hadn't gambling, so right. I still had still some other some, crutch, some outlet. other addiction. Right, I had another to escape. Well, that's why a lot of people get sober and they're going to eat or have sex or something else, cigarettes yeah, or something. They're going to do keep something, doing something else, right? And, and so did you get a sponsor and work the steps immediately right away or did that? No, because again, because I was, I knew because I was gambling, I was mm -hmm. going to keep everything at bay. Compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. So I was going to go, they said, dude, uh, th th did you know say gambling this, was a problem at the time? Oh yeah, I knew gambling so was a problem. So you just want, you didn't want to address it. That's what I you just mean by keeping that, it right. I, I just uh, said, okay, you know, one of those things, well, you know, okay, I'll, I'll stop so drinking. That, that'll help. <laughs> that, that'll help. You know, that, you that's going to help everything. You knew that alcohol was a problem six months before you quit, but how long did you know gambling was not okay? That you had a problem with it? Uh, probably longer. I just never wanted to admit it to okay. myself. Gotcha. And then that's why everything was a slow progression. So what I did is I did 54 meetings in 60 days. Yeah. I thought that was yep. enough. And then eventually, so that, that girlfriend who, talked, she actually went and got uh, some literature for me. So that's how I started reading <laughs> books and stuff. Because she goes, I bet you don't. Do you have one? I go, no. And I was really that because I ended up with 30 days and I was real proud of myself. Of course. <laughs> of course. So, so then I just started reading. And then that's why in a year and a half later, I went into uh, to see a uh, psychologist. And, and then, then the later on, there, but, so, helped you find. Right. But see, as I stopped drinking, my gambling amped up. So now right. I was gambling every day, gambling more, and everything was just progressing. And mm -hmm. then... And then after starting to learn a little bit more about feelings, then I went into another fellowship right. that I had to deal with. Uh, I knew I had to deal with gambling. So here's the story. So in gambling, I called the hotline to find out where the, because there's a lot fewer meetings. Right. And at that mm -hmm. point, there was probably five in the city. Oh, wow. And I called in 1999 I found out where they were, hung up the phone, Continued to gamble for another year until I <laughs> called back and said, that now I think they have six meetings. <laughs> so the first time it was just, thanks for the information. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So, uh, someone can say, did you inquire about, you know, I always, you know, to me, as you want to be a good liar, period. yeah, you're, you're trying to figure things out. Or you yeah. have, to me, it was more about, I had more ammunition to lie about. Yeah. I know where they are. Yeah. Stop bothering me. <laughs> yeah. So I have, a, I have a question. What was the most money you ever lost? Well, they always say the, the the amounts don't really matter. The most I'll the most I ever put on a specific game was eight hundred. Okay, but when you spray that out, you know you have thousands of dollars. You know, going on a whole weekend. Technically, if you lost them all, you'd be in serious, serious trouble. But you know, no uh, one go no one really goes over. On but no one really goes undefeated either. Okay. 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 So, so it's not one bet at a time. You got multiple. Right. Most so you got winners do. and losers. Right. Okay. So most people threw out. And then you just threw out a whole week. So even if one day you go like 0 and 3, the next day you might go 
two and one or three and oh, oh okay. so then you you can kind of what, what helped you become willing to go to the other fellowship and work the steps around gambling because I was started to I started to you know really understand you know what recovery was about and that there mm-hmm. there was help available and the one thing even though my family thought that I was crazy to go number one to a psychologist yeah. number two to actually say that I had a drinking or gambling problem they said no you don't <laughs> yeah uh, I knew better yeah. that I just I was in charge of my own life and I would tell anybody look this is your life stop worrying about what your right. family says mm-hmm. stop saying what your partner lover says you've got to this is your life you've got to start fighting for it right and so i started fighting for it and then so i eventually went to another fellowship and then about a month i I was going in and out for about a month and then i instead of going to treatment i went to europe for two weeks okay and then while i was there since i was catholic there was one place north of lisbon called fatima where the virgin mary had an apparition back in around 1917 Mm -hmm. the three little kids and from there, I just found the power and I just started uh, seeking I, and doing. Well, rather there was, there's a lot of things that kind of happen. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have a, you know, I have a YouTube channel. I also have a podcast on one of those. I kind of explain the whole thing that right. where I was just crying. It was one of those almost like spiritual awakenings, burning bush types of things where I really finally, finally felt God in my blood. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the thing that we're always talking about on the show is there's so many things that you hear in the fellowships work the steps, get a sponsor, do this, do that, all these actions, but the actions are not what has ever helped me. The actions don't have the power, but the actions lead me to get connected to the power somehow. Because whether we're talking about defects of character or sin, it doesn't really matter for me. The only time that either one of those have been uh, diminished or taken care of, removed, is when I'm getting closer to God. Yeah. When I'm getting closer to God. That's really it. And, and so, so that was the turning point for you. And would you agree or elaborate on the the difference real quick between just being abstinent or not doing something versus really being in recovery? What does that mean to you? Well, to me, it's like anything, you know, you, you've got to live it. Yeah. There, there's no other way. Right. You cannot be on the fringe. It's a fellowship for a reason. You've yeah. got to be connected with people that are seeking the same thing that you want in life, as well as do your own work for your own, because our our journey, our recovery journeys are all different, even though they're similar, right. but we fight and then we find the people. And if you really want better, to me, life's about relationships. Yeah, As long as we have intimate relationships, that's, the, that's what I learned in the fellowship yeah. and through the steps, through all that stuff. I've learned fun. how to be a friend. <laughs> well, I think, well, well, also there, I've learned that you've learned self-love, yeah. you learn how to love yourself and love others. Yeah. And then, then you actually have a really good life. And that's always, how you find freedom. And so I'm always telling are, people about that as well, is that you can't fit your life. I can't fit that, those fellowships around my life. i got to fit my life around the fellowships. Yeah. So if people wanted to look up your YouTube or your podcast, how would they find you? Lifeiswonderful.love, L-O-V-E. That'll connect you to everything. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Hugo, so much for being on here to talk yeah, about absolutely. gambling. Yeah, absolutely. great. Because the solution is available to anyone who wants it and is willing to put forth the effort. And so if there is any question in your mind, maybe I have a gambling addiction and you want to check him out, go to his website. And then if you have any questions about Matthew's help, visit mhdrp.org. Herbert Herb. Or give us a call, 844-263-4673. Thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Don't forget, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag God, though.